Welcome back to the Desert Springs Church Podcast. It exists to supplement the ministry and growth of the body here at Desert Springs Church. My name is Drew. I'm here with Chase. And today we're going to talk about the Bible, which is what we talk about on most podcasts. Pretty much every time. Yeah, but we're going to get into some nuts and bolts a little bit, and we're going to talk about how we got our Bibles. Um, If you haven't listened to our Apocrypha episode, this Mm. would kind of pair well with that, uh, as we talked about kind of extra biblical um, sources and books and writings, uh, ancient writings. And this ties in with the the DSI class that we there just did. So we, we covered uh, the first two weeks, the Doctrine of Revelation and then Bibliology, the Bible. And those of you that were listening to that, uh, I said that there was a lot more that we we could say about this topic that we didn't get into. So here we go. Here we get into it. So this is, this is what the podcast is for. Right. We use this as an extra stream. Uh, for things that won't fit in a sermon or a DSI class or anything else around here. So we want to talk about um, our Bibles, how they, how we got the books that we have in our Old and New Testament. Um, we want to talk about the, the canon, what that means, the canonization of Scripture, mm-hmm. what that means. Yeah. Um, so uh, really the, the, the overarching question of this whole discussion is, can we trust the Bibles that we have? We maybe dabble a little bit with translations. There's sure. different translations. Mm-hmm. Why are there so many translations? Yeah. Um, what? How can we have confidence that when we pick up our ESV or our NASB or even our NIV, that we have inspired, right. inerrant Word of God, yeah. and that it is trustworthy, it is it is sufficient, right. um, and it is what God wanted us to have. Yeah, because all of those, you know, those attributes that we would describe to Scripture that you just listed, that it's... Uh, it's inerrant, it's inspired, it's necessary, sufficient, um, that it is authoritative. This is everything that we need to know to live a life that's pleasing to God, to be saved and then live a life that's pleasing to God. Uh, Yeah, we need to be really sure that the Bible that we have is that, you know. The Word of God. The Word of God, that there's not parts missing or that there's not parts in the Bible that we have that is extra, that's, Mm -hmm. you know, not inspired word. And, um, you know, I don't know, uh, how much, how much debate there would have been about this topic centuries ago? You know, I think this is uh, in in certain ways more of a modern issue of starting to really question and challenge the books that are in the Bible and mm-hmm. and how uh, those have been received. That there's it just just especially in in the last few centuries and and even lately, there's just a lot of questioning and yeah. a lot of debate, a lot of doubting that the books of the Bible that we have are actually the ones that we should have. Well, I think our modern culture, we like to doubt things. We like yeah. to question authority. Mm-hmm. We like to question things and the validity of things. So yeah. that, that makes sense. Uh, so to start off, let's, uh, let's ask this question and consider this. Um, did they leave books out of the Bible? And first, let's define who are the they yeah. that we're saying yeah. when, we, when we say um, who, they, who yeah. was putting together the Bible. Yeah, because you hear that, uh, that's that's kind of a common narrative today. And I mean, it was really common in the Da Vinci Code in that book, you know, that there was like a they that was this authoritative group of people. I think people would yeah. usually say like Catholic minute, bishops or... Da Vinci Code, is in, in that a documentary? Yeah, pure history. Pure right there, historical... Very, you know, I, I tried to watch fact. it recently. Me and Kristen tried to watch it. It was on, I think it's on one of the streaming services. And I actually like turned it off just because the things they were saying were so inaccurate just that I couldn't, I just couldn't yeah. even like bother yeah. with it. I mean, it was yeah. so, so wrong. 
But that's kind of the story that he, the, the you know, they have this scholar. It's, just, it's a big conspiracy. It's a it's conspiracy. A that's it. Yeah. yeah. That, um, that, that kind of the, the way that's presented is like there were all of these books that were all equally Christian, equally. All could have been scripture. Could have been scripture. Mm-hmm. And yeah, there was this selective group of bishops. Old men that, with beards in a room. Yeah. Yeah. With smoke filled, you know, yeah. back room kind of conspiracy. That conspired together to, right. to uh, present this narrative and, and, and then reject any other writings or sources that would contradict that narrative. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Which, you know, really ties in. That's that's just kind of a modern thought process is that any kind of claim to truth or exclusivity is inherently like a power play, you know, and that mm-hmm. you're trying to... And you're oppressing other voices. Yeah, you're oppressing, yeah. you know, and, and so that was, I think, the big idea with the Da Vinci Code was it was oppressing women, you know, that they were, mm-hmm. you know, uh, that there were, there were books that seemed to give... Well, I think they said that Jesus was married, you know, and that yeah. was a big... Um, and that there were lots of books of the Bible that said that Jesus was married and the church left those out because they hate women or something, you know, it's kind oh, of right. the, the yeah. story. But, uh, the, you know, so, so that's, who the, who, that's who the, that's the, the they. they. Right. And, you know, even more, like I think uh, a lot of times you'll hear people say, yeah, at the Council of Nicaea mm-hmm. they, um, which is funny because that the Council of Nicaea didn't have anything to do with what we call canonization and lists, mm-hmm. you know, so I don't know why that one got pegged with it. If anything, it was a Council Just of Carthage. cool. Yeah, right. Yeah, so there was an idea that there was like a, a church council and it was there that they selected uh, the, the certain books that were going to go in. But that that's just not how the process happened at all. It was, if it we're saying that they as the church, they didn't choose anything. What we would say is that they received, that they recognized. Recognized, yeah. And uh, they were looking for certain qualities in what they were recognizing. And then the idea that there was all of these valid candidates for different books that they could have chosen. So it's mm. like, okay, we've got the four Gospels in the New Testament, but there was also the Gospel of Thomas and the Gospel of Peter and the Gospel of whatever, you know, that there were really dozens of Gospels and they were just mm. picking the ones that served their purposes. Well, that's not historically accurate either that there weren't lots of gospels i mean there are what we have now things that are called gospels but as we'll get into those uh those were not received because they didn't uh they didn't bear the marks of being the inspired word of god and so it wasn't like they were picking and choosing there was a pretty standard set of books that was received as the scripture especially in the new testament and that was what they went with what i find so interesting about this whole discussion is the kind of the historicity of it all Mm. and how the Bible is a historical book and we can actually trace back and look at the history of it. And how it came together. And and you mentioned the Gospels. Those were written as historical accounts, Mm -hmm. um, not just stories of of this man who came and and did these miracles and stuff, Mm -hmm. which which certainly is a part of the Gospels, but they're written as history. And you can go back and actually look at historical accounts and and see that these things were, were right. true. These things right. were right. And then and then there's a history of how we got um, how we got this book, how we got the books we we do. Um, and that's so why it matters so much is because if th- these are histories, they're making yeah. truth claims, and especially in the New Testament, these claims that Jesus was risen from the dead. Right. And and so we need to know that these are the true historical claims because mm-hmm. these aren't just ideas. These are yeah. facts that are. Yeah. Um, if they're true, they change everything. Yes. And so that's why we, it does matter. We need to know that we have the right absolutely. books. Yeah, absolutely. So how did we get the books uh, of the Bible that we do have? Uh, talk, let's talk about canon. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah so, the canonization process. Yeah, so you're using that word canon. That's uh, that's a word that means rule or standard. It's it's from a Hebrew word that is what a, like a measuring stick, yeah. you know. And so 
it's the when we say the canon of scripture we're saying this is the standard this is what mm-hmm. we're this these are the measuring rod of yeah. truth and and authority in God's word it's these these books um and we believe that there's 66 books that are the inspired word of God um and those are the ones that you would have in your English standard version bible your mm-hmm. NIV bible um any of these versions mm-hmm. that we use here um but yeah yeah those are the books that yeah. the the church received as yeah this is the word of god other books that were written maybe are helpful books but not the word of god not inspired by and we god. mentioned the apocrypha because if you looked in a catholic bible you would have extra books in the old yeah, testament right uh, that we don't believe um belong in our bibles yeah, as as scripture that aren't canon um right yeah so yeah so why, why aren't those real quick why aren't why aren't those books yeah we, t- we talked about that but um yeah the old testament so we we count 39 books in the old testament uh, the Jews at the time they counted it a little differently because they combined some books together, right. you know. Um, but we say, yeah, these thirty-nine books. What's really interesting about the Old Testament is by the time you get to the first century, when when Jesus was, there was like no debate about what was mm-hmm. belongs in the Old Testament. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, but in that intertestamental period after uh, Malachi and Chronicles, mm-hmm. you know, was was done, um, then the Jews were writing lots of other books and they were actually writing in Greek. And so there were a number of books that became really important to the Jewish people, uh, like first and second Maccabees, Tobit, Ecclesiasticus, and these are the names of apocryphal books. So there Mm -hmm. were books that became really popular and really important um, that they uh, would usually, when they would have a collection of scrolls that were the scriptures, they would also have these other books along with them, and they would say these are these are useful, you know. But they never treated them like they were the word of God. Those books actually themselves don't present themselves as the word of God. They mm. don't claim to be the word of God. Yeah. Um, if you read them, there are a number of his, historical errors in mm. them that the Old Testament books don't have. There's um, unorthodox claims in some of those books, like God hears the prayers of the dead, or that uh, you're saved yeah. by your works, things like that. Um, so anyway, by the time you got to the first century, they had the Hebrew scriptures, the 39 books of the old Testament universally agreed on this is the word of God. And then they had these other apocryphal books, but those are never quoted by Jesus or the apostles as scripture. Um, you never see Jesus debating with the Pharisees about what books belong in the Bible or not. Like it was just, it was very clear when Jerome translated the whole Bible into Latin in like, I think it was 404. The Vulgate. The Vulgate. He included those apocryphal books, but they were very clear even then. These aren't scripture. These are bonus. Yeah. So I think the way Jerome put it was uh, the Old Testament is books of the canon and the apocrypha is books for the church. So they said, these are helpful. Read them if you want. And they they are. They're interesting. It was the Jewish book nook. (laughs) <laughs> right. Yeah. That was like their, you know, recommended reading list yeah. uh, from their pastors or whatever. But, and it, w- it really wasn't, uh, I mean, they did some, some people even early, early on started treating those like they were scripture, but it wasn't until after the Reformation that um, the Roman Catholic Church said officially, this is Bible, right. you know, this is the word of God. Yeah. And that's a whole other thing. That's another podcast. Well, and you know, just that the, the Roman Catholic Church believes that it's the church that makes the Bible. Yeah. And so that's their ground for saying the Apocrypha is the Bible is because yeah. the church is what decides. Yeah. So again, so they they are saying the church think, chooses. Yeah, Eastern Orthodox would, would yeah. say something similar. Right. Yep. So, um, but we would, you know, even for the reasons that I listed, that they're not inerrant, they're not 
They never present themselves to be the word of God. They were never received as such. Yeah. Um, so they're helpful. If you haven't read them, you know, they're, they're really neat. Some of them, I mean, right. uh, the wisdom of Solomon's beautiful. Yeah. But So now looking at the New Testament, um, was the process any different for uh, collecting New Testament books? Because Jesus in the New Testament was quoting the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. He said he's not debating with the scribes and Pharisees about what is or isn't scripture. They had an Old Testament Bible. Mm-hmm. That was their Bible. Yeah, they had a canon. Uh, they had a canon. Uh, that was accepted. But then while well, Jesus is going around and, and the apostles are writing these things down right, or yeah. it's oral tradition until it's getting written down and yeah. then copied and pasted and, and mm-hmm. then spread yeah. uh, all over. Um, yeah. yeah, what what was that process like? Walk yeah. us through kind of the end of, end of uh, yeah, or just right at the beginning of the first century. Yeah, when it when how it was how was the church kind of collecting scripture yeah. and then recognizing it? Yeah, and it's you know, so Muslims believe that the Quran just kind of like dropped out of the sky. I think they think that Allah dictated it to Muhammad and he wrote it out, and it was all like one block thing. You know, um, we don't believe that. We think it was a very dynamic process of God's word mm. being written down. That He uses people, history. He uses a long time, um, different authors, things like that. Or, you know, even think of Mormons. I think, you know, Joseph Smith just found the Book of Mormon like buried in the ground in New yeah. York or something like that. Um, yeah. But we think it's it was a very dynamic process. And like you said, it really starts with the oral tradition yeah. of Jesus teaching the apostles. And then they're uh, kind of repeating the stories about what Jesus did, what Jesus yeah. said. Um, and it became kind of these like clear, memorizable snippets yeah. you know that they would teach each other you know this is this is what jesus said this was an oral culture yeah um so there's that aspect at the same time you have the apostles um they start writing letters to churches mm-hmm. to uh explain or bring to bear the teachings of jesus mm-hmm. and the the faith of the gospel on specific contexts that they have and so that's really where the scripture the new testament scripture starts is with the oral yeah. tradition but then the new testament letters yeah so we believe they're divinely inspired, but they come about in a very historically practical way. Yeah, right. In a very earthy, yeah. you know, in the way that, you know, it's, I think it's a cool thing is Jesus is fully God and fully man. The scriptures are fully inspired and written in very human historic context. And God was, was sovereign over that. So, you know, take, uh, I think most people would say, um, well, they might say that James might be the earliest, one of the earliest books of the Bible or certainly in Paul, that Galatians or First Thessalonians were some of the earliest books in the New Testament that were written. Um, so Paul writes a letter to Galatia. And I think Paul knows that when he's writing, because he's a prophet, right? He's an apostle and that had a prophetic role uh, that he thinks he's writing scripture, even as he's doing that. He um, sends the letter to the Galatians. The Galatians receive that as from an apostle. Thus, it's the word of God, just like a word from Isaiah was the word of God. And so... They take this letter, they read it out loud, and then one of the first things they would probably do is make copies of it mm. because it was important. And yeah. so they would have copies of it. And you even read, uh, I think it's in Colossians where Paul says, okay, take this, now go read this letter yeah. in Laodicea and have that letter read here. And so they're copying that to go spread it around. And so you see early on, okay, we've got this apostolic word. Mm-hmm. We're going to make really faithful copies of it mm-hmm. and we're going to start distributing those copies around. And so that was kind of the, and that along with the oral tradition of and Jesus. And that was a known practice then because there were counterfeits. Yeah. There, there came all these counterfeits to letters written to churches that were signed by 
a fake Paul well, or exactly. a fake Peter, right? A fake apostle, mm-hmm. because they knew that's what it took yeah. for churches to accept it to yeah. be, yeah, uh, to be scripture, to yeah. be authoritative. So let's talk about those characteristics mm. of of kind of the guidelines or the criteria for how do uh, we receive this? for how the yeah. how the church recognized right what is what is scripture and what isn't? Yeah, yeah. Well, and so that's part of it is um, we saw that coming up in Galatians where Paul is like. Hey, let me m- make sure you know this is actually this from is how me. I write. Yeah, this is how I write, um, and because that's one of the first characteristics is this needs to actually come from an apostle. So a fake guy claiming to be an apostle is not an apostle, and so mm-hmm. it doesn't come with the word of God. That's a false prophet, and so that would be one of the first characteristics is we say apostolicity. So apostolicity. it's it's from an apostle or someone in the orbit of the apostles. So um, an assistant to the apostles, like Luke, was with Paul. So a lot of mm-hmm. what he was writing was really just Paul's teaching. Mark was with Peter. Mm-hmm. Uh, whoever wrote Hebrews seems to be, had, yeah. had some apostolic testimony to them, mm-hmm. you know? So that's the first big one is that this is from an apostle. Um, and then another aspect of that is that would have come from the time of the apostles. From that time period. Yeah. Yep. So that was, that would be why we would say like, the Gospel of Thomas, or some of these other ones that have kind of had a resurgence of interest. Well, they're very clearly dated at the end of the second century. You know, yeah. so the apostles all died yeah. by the end of the first century. So it couldn't have been written by. An apostle. So it couldn't have been written by an apostle, therefore not received as scripture. Um, and then another big thing in that is that it's orthodox, that it's consistent with the faith once for all delivered to the saints. You know, and so I think that was a big issue. You know, when Paul's correcting the the false teaching that the Thessalonians had. It's like, this is not what I told you. Remember mm-hmm. what I told you. This is how it's going to work. So that would be another thing is where, is they're weighing, what do we receive? Do we receive this as the word of God? Well, if it's saying something, again, Gospel of Thomas is a good example, although it's second century. Um, one of the things that it says is that women can't go to heaven. Yeah. And so they have to become have men. To become Jesus men. is going to make them men. And that's part of their salvation is being made men. Well, that's not yeah. orthodox, you know. Yeah. Um, and then the last one was that Which they that were... that kind of blows up the Da Vinci Code thing a little bit. It, it really yeah. does. I yeah. mean, yeah, yeah again, going. that's why I turned it off. It's like, <laughs> you don't even know what you're talking about. Um, but then the last one is that it was universally accepted. And so... And what does that mean? So it means, so the church, think, you know, as it's spreading in Acts, it's kind of spreading throughout the Roman Empire. And so there's churches in Asia, there's even churches in Egypt and Northern Africa, and then churches in Europe. And so as it's kind of spread around, there were some letters that were spread around that were really influential that were kind of geographically located. Yeah. And so they didn't spread through the whole church and they weren't received by the whole church as being scripture. And so the New Testament books that we have were universal. It was across the where the churches were, mm. it, these were accepted as the Bible. Wow. Yeah. And so by the time, again, you know, the Revelation was the last book written. It was written in the 90s uh, AD. And by the time that was done, the 27 books of our New Testament were more or less universally accepted as being from the apostles. As So it was already, so I think it was uh, 110, there was a guy called Papias, and he uh, he had, he was talking about what was the scripture, and he was talking about like the gospels that we have, you know, and the gospels were written after the epistles, many of the epistles were written, but that was really just apostles taking the oral tradition and writing it down and arranging it in a certain order. But even by 110, Papias is saying these books, these are our four gospels, you know, so we have those. And then 
the epistles were all recognized. And so they're really, even by the end of the first century, going into the second century, the New Testament books that we have were pretty much settled. Yeah. But there's still some debate going on, uh, like you mentioned today. And even at that time, um, a couple of a couple of the books were a little bit slower yeah. to get canonized, mm-hmm. like Hebrews, because there's no clear authorship. Right. So the apostolicity yeah. aspect is well, who who wrote? If we don't know who yeah. wrote this, can we trust that this mm-hmm. is? Yeah. And so then it had to it had to have a strong grade in all of the other yeah. categories, right. which it does, mm-hmm. it, which it very much does. Mm-hmm. And even that, the earliest uh, witnesses to it believed that it had apostolic that this came from somebody apostolically mm. adjacent. And so um, we're, they were taking the word, their word for it on some levels. But right, those those other three aspects of it were um, were so strong that it was it was received. And so so there, so it is like Hebrews, I think second and third John, second uh, Peter, Jude, James, even revelation a little bit. Uh, there was just some questions about, you know, th- this isn't as obviously, clear as Galatians or whatever. Yeah. But um, that was just when you, the, the church was kind of putting together different lists and they never uh, they never really added books like we're talking like Thomas and things like that. They were never considered. But there were some mm-hmm. people like, okay, what, let's talk about Third John. Is it really? But by the time, uh, again, that it really matters, they're they're settled on, on those. Yeah. And then there were some that too that uh, people thought were candidates for adding in that didn't get added in. Again, not Thomas or Peter, things like that, but like First Clement was was one. And if you've never read First Clement, uh, it was written early in the second century, and it reads just like the Bible. I mean, it's it's really really. And Clement was um, in Rome. He was uh, a disciple of the apostles, and so he talks about knowing John and guys like that. So it's really cool. But it wasn't as old, and so. People said, no, we're not going to take that. Um, the Didache, which was an early church document, but it didn't have apostolic attestation, mm-hmm. you know, things like that. So so this is all very fascinating yeah. to see like, okay, there was some, it was a process, but by the time you get to the second century, I mean, it's, these are, these are the books in the New Testament where I'm not adding new books. Yeah. It was, it was, it was done. Yeah. The canon was closed. Yeah. Yeah. People were. And, and again, it wasn't because, okay, we like these ones or not these ones. It was, we are certain this is the word of God, mm. you know. Um, I think it was Wayne Grudem, he was pointing out what Jesus says, that my sheep recognize my voice. Mm. And he was saying, the early church recognized God's voice yeah. in, in the scriptures, and which ones didn't have God's voice. Wow. And uh, and God sovereignly superintended even that process. And right. so we have, I mean, to start with the opening question, is the Bible trustworthy? Yes. Mm-hmm. And the 66 books that Amen. we have are the inerrant word of God and so we should trust it. Amen. Yeah, it's awesome. It's amazing to consider the process, not just, not just uh, like we we've talked about the writing and the collecting of scripture over thousands of years, mm-hmm. uh, dozens of authors, mm-hmm. in, in yeah. dozens of of times and places yeah, over centuries, uh, over centuries. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, but also the the supernatural superintending right. over the process of of collecting and. and yeah or recognizing yeah. these books yeah. as, as scripture. And even preserving and translating, you know, you mentioned that. Like, yeah, yeah, we didn't even get into that. Yeah, but um, I mean, there's no, I mean, some of the earliest manuscripts we have are from the second century, you know? Yeah. And so I think uh, 
a lot of scholars think that they might just be copies of the original ones. Some of those earliest manuscripts that we have might be copies of the words that Paul wrote, yeah. you know. And then translation is not – people translate things all the time, you yeah. know. Um, one of my favorite authors writes in Spanish, and mm. I only read it in English. And I don't yeah. ever wonder if I can trust right. what he's saying. You yeah, know, yeah. It's just – yeah. Yeah. So we can trust our English Bibles, whatever translation you have. Mm-hmm. Um a lot of these translations are good translations. Mm-hmm. Um, if you have questions, you can ask us about. Yeah, yeah, which, ask us about translations. Um, I mean, there's there's several that I that I use personally. Mm-hmm. I really like the NASB and the ESV mm-hmm. for what we would say are more literal word for word translations. They yeah. try to just get at right at what the the Hebrew or Greek was mm-hmm. and translate it to English, but they can be a little clunky to read. Yeah. So I really like the CSB, the Christian Standard Bible. Yeah as a reading Bible. Yeah, that's so, my new favorite. So that's a little bit more of a, particularly in the Psalms. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I really enjoy reading that one in the Psalms. So I think those are all really good translations. Mm-hmm. Um, I heard somebody say that uh, that they like to use um, a different translation every year. Oh, that's a good idea. In, in their yearly reading. Yeah. Um, to just, because because words hit us different, phrases will hit yeah. us different, and, mm-hmm. it will, and it will move us to think uh, more and right. think a little differently yeah. about a passage that maybe because I grew up, I grew up in the New King James version. Mm. Um, See, and the ESV is like my heart language Bible. Yeah, you yeah. Know? so I memorize ESV. Right, so I memorized yeah. a lot of New King James. Uh-huh. Uh, so a lot of that comes spilling out. Yeah, and 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 now it's some sort of blend of the ESV, right. the New King James, and the CSB. But then, yeah, you're reading it in a different version, and, yeah. and they say it just a little differently, and it's enough yeah. to kind of shake you out. And it's it like, makes wow, you think. that yeah. is, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it, it really is. And, and two, any good Bible is going to have footnotes. Mm-hmm. Any good translation is going to have good yeah. footnotes that are going to tell you if something could be read Translated differently, yeah, or yeah. whatever, you know. And again, there's none of that's a big deal, you yeah. know. it's I, I am not, I've studied this stuff in in more depth than maybe an average member in our church and I'm not concerned about anything as far as translation or manuscripts or stuff like that goes. I yeah. just have every reason to trust the Bible. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about resources uh for studying on this a little yeah. bit more. Mm-hmm. Um I think I think one the 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 bottom shelf uh resource that I would give is Greg Gilbert's mm-hmm. book. Uh, Why Trust the Bible. Totally. And that's from Nine Marks. Yeah. It's a small booklet. It's in that same series of who is Jesus and mm-hmm. what is the gospel. Mm-hmm. Um, Greg Gilbert just does a brilliant job of summarizing yeah. this in about 150 pages. Yeah. I mean, he's got a whole... So, he he basically engages with every on-the-street argument you would have yeah. for can we trust the Bible? Right. You know, wasn't it copies of copies and mm-hmm. translations and yep. manuscripts? And then even uh, what's really good about it is, did Jesus really rise from the dead? So that's, yeah. I think the last chapter. I love that that's the, the center of it. So yeah. the very last page, he uh, he says, the Bible is historically reliable. Jesus was resurrected from the dead and the whole Bible therefore rests on Jesus's authority. That's why we believe it. And that's why we trust it. Yeah. Yeah. So that, yeah. that's great. Yeah. And so that would be yeah. first resource. You, you say you say bottom shelf, but don't skip that one if you haven't read it yet. I mean that's that's probably one of the best. I'm just saying to start. it's probably yeah. the most accessible and, yeah. and not super academic. It no. doesn't go into the weeds. No, no. Um yeah. So if you want one that does go into the weeds a little bit, there's uh Who Chose the Gospels by C. E. Hill. And so this is a little bit more um academic, but it, it does engage with what we were saying, kind of that dynamic process, especially with the gospel writings and how they mm-hmm. were put together. And then how they became recognized, and so that was uh, that was really a neat one, a really enjoyable one. And then 
There's another one. Uh, I couldn't find it on my shelf, but it's called The Story of the New Testament Text. And I can't remember who wrote it. Um, but that one is really interesting as far as how did we get the Greek copies that or the, the Greek text that we are now translating the ESV and the NASB. How did mm-hmm. we make sure that the Greek text that we have is the most reliable copy of the original yeah. books that were written? So, um, but that, but that it's you know it's really academic. But I actually, I found it kind of a harrowing story of mm. even how did we find the different manuscripts that yeah. we have, you know, really and just all of that. Yeah. And then how do you compare the manuscripts? How do you make the decisions about when the manuscripts don't quite agree with each other? Which one do you? Uh, conclude as the more accurate one and mm-hmm. so that was that was a really cool read too i'd recommend that if yeah. if you're you really would just want to nerd out on this that's stuff. good and we can put all of this in our show notes no we can't as soon as we figure out where those are after we set up our podcast email that we <laughs> haven't set up yet. <laughs> exactly um well this is a good discussion um yeah a lot more could be said and if you have any questions you can email us at info at dscabq.com um Chase, thanks for taking the time and, yeah. and having this conversation. Thank you. And hopefully this will this will uh, spark many more conversations in the life of our church about uh, why we can trust our Bibles yeah. and, and how much we do trust our Bibles. And all of this came out of a DSI class, so if you're not coming to or watching the DSI classes, Solid. you're not too late. Just jump in. Solid plug. Yep. All right. Well, Lord willing, we'll have another episode out for you soon. But until then, let's keep spreading God's glory broader and deeper.